Good morning. The word of God today comes from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Please give your full, unavided attention to the reading of God's holy word. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Let us now give our attention to the preaching of God's holy word. Thank you, Pastor D. Penn. Good morning. For those of you who I have not met yet, my name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Before I start uh, with in regards to the message today, I think all of us have been heartbroken and shocked by what's been happening in the country of Ukraine. And if you've been watching footages, as I have been, um, part of the heartbreak was to see uh, women and their children uh, praying and wondering if their father, son, uh, husband would return back as they're fighting on the streets, fighting for their freedom and fighting for their country. This morning, I just want to invite you to join with me in taking a moment to pray that God would bring a cease to this war, that he would uh, really protect and allow the church to be the light and salt in this war environment, and also for God to take what is so painful and evil in the sight uh, of, of God and turn it to good for his glory and honor. If you would bow with me, I'm just going to say a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our heart breaks every time we see uh, death, destruction, evil, and war. And although you have told us that it will happen in end times, we also realize that it is still so hard to see. So, Lord, we lift up this country with its uh, brokenness today and with so many uh, who are 
in pain, in tears, and wondering what will happen tomorrow. Lord, uh, war is never good, and uh, we pray for your help, and we pray that you would bring peace. Lord, we also pray that your church that resides in the country of Ukraine, that your people, that you would hear their prayers and you would allow them somehow to bear witness of Jesus and the gospel during the midst of such hurt and loss and devastating pain. And Lord, finally, we just pray that you would take what men do as evil and turn it for your glory. Somehow, would you let the resounding truth of the gospel come through this time of war? And would you give hope to those uh, who are needing hope, who are needing a reason to live even beyond this moment, and thanking you once again that nothing is shocking to you, that all things are under your plan and your control, and we pray your grace over this nation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> today we're con continuing in our series of Shalom, and today it's my privilege to share with you an area that is very significant for everyone. It's regarding the family. In all the ways that the family has been uh, both a place of pain as well as joy. And uh, how we've been shaped in that environment. And it's often referred to as the family of origin. In, in a ministry called Family Life, they define it this way. The term family of origin refers to the family that you grew up in, your parents and siblings. It may also include grandparents and other relatives or divorced parents who lived with you during part of your childhood. These people strongly influence who we become. And it's this area, this reason, the reason why we want to talk about this is that shalom, as, as we've been defining it, is a desire for wholeness, a desire for completion, and a desire for holistic restoration. And as we live each moment, the most important and dearest areas of uh, of unrest, unfortunately, sometimes, can be the home and the family. It's a place where love and pain coexist. It's where many have been hurt, both consciously and subconsciously, uh, whether it was physical, emotional, and sometimes even spiritual. The home and family were supposed to be a place where we come to take rest and refuge from our daily, busy world. Instead, sometimes, it is intruded with moments of pain and trauma and maybe even abuse. We all have stories that maybe we might have in our own lives that we would never share publicly or maybe with another person casually. Yet on Sundays, what we see are smiling faces, warm hugs and greetings. But behind some of those smiles and hugs and greetings are hurting people. People who've been hurt by people who are supposed to love them and protect them, and care for them. So many of us, we might just think that this used to be what we call just our family issues. Everyone has them. But our family of origin, sometimes, if it has serious problems such as alcoholism, or abuse, or infidelity, or even mental illness, there, it impacts our lives, and it, and, and it sometimes affects us in how we react and respond and live with others in our marriage, in our parenting, and maybe even in our workplace. And so a lot of times this issue uh, is something that we don't really address. And today, as we go through the Shalom series, we wanted to address it. And as I, think about, as I thought about this topic, I recalled one of the things that I love so preciously uh, here at Christ Central, which is our periodic stories of grace. 
I heard some before I even came to Christ Central. And as I've been here, I, heard, I got the privilege to hear several more. And one of the reasons why I love these stories of grace is because everyone who comes here makes themselves vulnerable and transparent as they share their life story. And oftentimes what you hear are stories that go back to the home and the family. And there have been stories of adultery. There have been stories where people have faced all kinds of pains and, and hardships and maybe even abuse. And I know that there are some who are sitting right here as I address this issue. That right now, you might be remembering some of the pain in your own life. Maybe there's some of the pain that you're currently going through right now. And I want you to understand that as I think about this topic and as we talk about it in God's word, that God sees you and that God knows what you're going through. And today I want to talk about the hope and the steps that we can take to rebuild from broken, broken paths and, and areas of life that has caused us so much pain. You see, God's shalom is possible when we see what he sees. And we, we're able to recognize them and to speak about them and to even bring them before him on a daily basis. To do this, I wanted to introduce to you, if you haven't read this before, chapter 1 of Nehemiah. The theme of Nehemiah is the faithfulness of God who keeps his covenant of love with his people. The book of Nehemiah shows that God's word stands firm and that God's faithful covenant of love to his people is demonstrated in amazing ways throughout this book. Yet the challenge of this story is that the very people God had made a promise to has now been in captivity under Babylonian rule for 70 years. And only a few called the remnant remain. And as they were allowed to return to their homeland, a report back came to Nehemiah from his brother Hanani. And as the report came in verse 3, it says that the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah's response was one of weeping and mourning. And he also coupled that with fasting and praying. And you might ask, how does this story of Nehemiah come together with this concern of family of origin? Well, in Nehemiah's prayer, one thing that he does is that he confesses the sins of the people of Israel, but he also confesses his own sin and the sin of his father's house. When's the last time you prayed for uh, God's forgiveness for your family. What led to captivity were, were the sins of God's people, the idolatry, the, the forsaking of God's commands and truth. And he recognized that it wasn't just us as a nation, it was me and my household. And so what I want to connect here is that we all come from broken families. Why? Because broken families are made of broken people. And although some of us have faced less pain than others, every family, in that sense, is comprised of people who are not yet perfect. And I want you to understand that as we talk about this, that there's nothing really we can do about what has happened. But there are things that we can do to shape and to move forward and to hopefully rebuild from our past what we do today that can impact tomorrow. What I love about the message of any book in the, in the, in the scriptures is that it somehow culminates in the theme of salvation and, and the gospel. 
And the gospel reminds us that God is able to take broken people in their broken past and life experience and is able to restore them, give them life, and give them hope for the transformation that can occur as we choose to walk with him. And the name Nehemiah, even his name means comforted by God. And so today I hope that you will find comfort in not, in not the fact that the past can be reshaped or, or even forgotten, but that you can take that and move forward and find hope and redemption and even healing with the, with the Lord and his truth. So there are two lessons from this chapter that I want to share with you. First is that your beginning doesn't have to be or determine your end. Where you began is not where you need to end. And secondly, changing your trajectory is possible when we lean upon the Lord. And we'll define that a little bit more. The first one is that you, your beginnings doesn't have to determine your end. When Nehemiah heard the news in the state of Jerusalem, that the gates and the walls were burnt and torn down, when he heard these, he immediately went into prayer as he brought his mourning and weeping before God. You know, sometimes when we're in pain, you know, we weep and mourn, and we, we identify with that. We understand what it feels like to be weeping after a moment of trauma or abuse. And sometimes rightfully so, because pain is real. And I want you to understand that no one, not God, not us as a church, not anyone as Christians, want you to ignore that pain or to pretend that it doesn't exist, or even the fact that you shouldn't feel pain. In fact, Pastor Harold made it very clear that we are not to ignore it, but to learn to live through it and find and hold the hand of our God as we live through and understand uh, his will and his plan and his direction for us. Nehemiah wept and mourned for days, but he also fasted and prayed. And prayer was the first step toward restoration for Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah was born in captivity. He lived in captivity. And he could have probably sat there and mourned the fact that this, is the, this was what was caused by the sins, not just of himself, but his, his people and of his, of his fathers. But instead, as he mourned and wept of what, hearing what, what happened in the home of Jerusalem, he fasted. And this fasting communicated a sense of urgency and a sense of determination and need and a dire need of God to hear him. And his prayer included confessions of sin, a remembrance of God's covenant promises, as well as a request. The request was found in verse 11, the second half of it, where it says, Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he says, I was cupbearer to the king. The success Nehemiah was asking for was that he needed to go and he knew that he needed to go and rebuild that wall. And what he was going to ask this king, King Artaxerxes of Babylon, was permission to return back to Jerusalem. Not only just for him to be able to leave, but he would, he would ask the king for supplies of wood, as well as permission to go through different regions, and the permission for other kings to allow safe passage, and for him to be gone for a period of time. 
You see, Nehemiah was poised and positioned by God to be the one that would accomplish this huge task. And as he was cupbearer to the king, his daily job was to taste the wine and make sure it wasn't tainted with poison. And every day he was putting his life on the line for the king and he was near the king. So he had audience with the king. I want to say to you that this was no accident. It was by God's plan. And the reason why this was so significant is because, not because King Artaxerxes allowed this, but because God, by his mercy and by his grace, whom he prayed to, this God of heaven, this God of heaven, this great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love, that's who he prayed to. And as Pastor Deepin even shared this morning, This God of heaven is not a reference to a God who's far away, but a God who has even greater power than this king of Babylon. And so when Nehemiah prayed and took these steps to move out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem, to the wall, and to rebuild what eventually would lead back to the rebuilding of the temple so that the worship of God's people can move forward, I want us to understand a few things as we try to remember where Nehemiah came from. You see... We didn't get to choose our family of origin. We didn't get to choose our parents or the family we were born into. We didn't get to choose all the different history and issues that came along with each of our families. But with the help of God, we can choose what tomorrow looks like. Behind every door of every family lies the stories of what people have gone through. Behind every IG post or different postings that we do throughout social media, And between every one of those are sometimes the heartaches and the losses and the hurts that we've gone through. And sometimes even then we are hurting, but for the moment we put on a smile. Maybe many of you who are sitting here this morning can recall times or instances of events that are etched into your soul and memory of moments of pain or trauma. You know, I I grew up in a home where... um, I'm privileged that my, both my parents are still alive today. Uh, my dad will be turning 88 this May. My dad is the kind of Korean dad who didn't spend much time with his children and, and worked a lot, and we never really had those father-son moments or those father-son talks. And there were years where I resented my dad because I remember growing up watching what was called the TV show The Brady Bunch, and it was, a blend, it was a TV show of a blended family of six kids and two parents. And um, I remember wishing all the time that my mom and dad were like Mr. and Mrs. Brady. And I used to sit there and think, gosh, my dad just never talked to me. And, and when I got married and when I had kids, I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to be a father. Those are the kind of things that I thought my dad should have talked to me about. And then just recently, just a few years ago, I found out something from one of my aunts that during the Korean War when, our, when my dad's family was uh, trying to get on a train and leave North Korea to South Korea before the Korean War, as the Korean War was erupting, that there was a tragic event of an explosion, that my dad actually had two other brothers that I never knew about. There was an explosion that caused my grandmother who limped her whole life that I knew her, and she's with the Lord today, that I found out why she, I knew that it was some kind of a train accident. I never knew it was an explosion that killed two of her sons. And to this day, I don't know what kind of effect it must have had on my father. 
but it helped me to gain perspective that maybe his brokenness isn't just him being a distant dad. There's pain that we all carry. And today I get to hug him and say I love you, things that we never did say growing up. We're far from a Brady Bunch and far from any perfect family. But I wonder what kinds of pain that maybe you grew up with, that you still live with, maybe even an unforgiving heart or a bitter heart towards someone that you call family. It could be a mom or a dad who was a clean freak or he just wanted everything to be clean. Maybe a sibling who, had a, who became that wayward sheep of the family. Maybe parents who are fighting with each other or maybe yelling at you. Maybe abuse by a family member. But there are also good things that come from a family of origin as well. Parents who lead you in prayer and take you to church. I remember my grandmother every morning Around 5 a.m., she would be praying, and I could hear her crying through the walls as she lifted up her family and, and, the, and her prayers before God. You see, the family comes with a particular script, something that has been written before that we either enjoy or live in the pain of. And some of us may resent what had happened, and others have embraced the reality of what happened, and we are determined not to let that repeat. So we're working desperately to make sure that that doesn't repeat in our marriage or in our home. But your beginning doesn't have to be or determine your end. I was reminded of this when I saw a, fam- a movie with my family called I Can Only Imagine. If, you, if that so- title sounds familiar, it's, it's a title of a song from a band called Mercy Me. It was written by a man by the name of Bart Millard. And there was a movie that was made about his family testimony and his life story. It was, there's, there's a recounting of this by a man by the name of Kenny Silva, who's a staff on City on a Hill, and he writes this. Growing up in Greensville, Texas, Bart Millard suffered physical and emotional abuse at the hands of his father, Arthur. When his father, Arthur, was accidentally run down by a semi-truck while on the job, he miraculously didn't break a single bone in his body. But his brain was severely damaged and left him in a coma for eight weeks. When Arthur went home, Adele, Bart's mom, soon discovered how drastically Arthur had changed. Her husband would frequently break out in fits of rage, set off by some, some of the most insignificant things. And though he never laid a finger on his wife, Arthur would intentionally break everything that meant everything to her. And eventually Adele buckled under the weight of this verbal, emotional, and psychological abuse as, she, as far as she could see, she had no choice, and so she left. Bart had to live with his father, and he began to be the focal point of his father's anger. Spankings turned into full-on beatings, and as soon as he realized what he had done, Arthur would call Bart into his room and apologize profusely. His dad had become an uncontrollable monster, and only his, the only hope he had was to grow up and eventually leave as soon as he could. Years later, Bart heard two words that changed his heart for his dad, pancreatic cancer. Staring down the face of terminal cancer, Arthur began to change radically. He started going to church. He read his Bible regularly and talked about it, all that it meant to him. And through the walls, Bart would hear him pray late into the night for him and his brother. Arthur's prayers were not for show. The kindness and love of God appeared and transformed Arthur from the inside out. And Arthur couldn't believe it. The doctors couldn't explain it. 
But the monster had gone, and all that was left was a person who Bart himself called the godliest man I ever knew. In his recent memoir, Bart vividly portrays the five years between his father's diagnosis and his death in 1991. And during that time, the two grew closer together as no one could ever have imagined. This unforeseen bond made Arthur's, Arthur's passing that much more devastating. But here's the kick. Bart recalls standing at the gravesite with his grandmother, who turned to him and gently whispered, I can only imagine what Bub's seeing right now. That idea lodged itself in Bart's mind, and to envision his father in the presence of Jesus, his chief source of hope, he proceeded to scribble, I can only imagine, on anything he could find. Fast forward to 1999, when Mercy Me was struggling to write one more song in their fifth album, The Worship Project. It was one late night when Bart found himself on a bus trying to find an empty page that he could write a song. And all he could find on the pages of his journal was, I can only imagine. He soon got the hint and he realized that he needed to write a song about this theme. It took him 10 minutes and he was just getting started in what God was showing and showing throughout his life. If you've not seen this movie, I've told you the movie, sorry. But even if you know the story, if you've ever had father pains, if you've ever wondered what God can do, and even if God doesn't always do this for every family, I want you to understand that he can. And until he does, or if he never does, even at one moment, just that hope and prayer, what we find is prayer. It begins with the calling of the God who is the God of heavens, the God who has power and authority over all things. And so your beginning does not have to be your end. But secondly, changing your trajectory is possible as we lean upon the Lord. When Nehemiah was faced with a great burden and the result of what had happened after the exile, he came and he prayed. And what he prayed in verse 8 to 10, he said, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, quote, and, I, and many uh, people believe that that quote comes either from Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, or Deuteronomy, 20, uh, Deuteronomy 4. And it contains this theme that if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, through your out, though your outcasts are at the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen and make my name dwell there. God wanted that to happen. And he says, there are you, they are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. You see, the second thing that Nehemiah did in his path to restoration was to lean on God and his word. Nehemiah was asking God to simply keep his promise. That as the people, the remnant, returned to God, that, they, that God would bring them back and restore what was broken. Let me ask you a question. When you're in pain, where do you go? What do you do? And to whom do you turn? You know, many of us, especially during the pandemic when we were isolated from each other, and if you were in pain, some of us created some bad habits. We started going to things that medicated us and never brought healing or restoration. 
And some of us started watching a little too much TV. We started watching, binge-watching Netflix. Some of us started drinking too much. Some of us visited some very inappropriate, illicit internet sites. Or some of us just took it out on our spouses or maybe even our kids. I want you to understand that in moments of pain, we're looking for something that would bring healing and hope. And it's not found in, those things are not bad. But those things cannot fill what only God can fill. I can't tell you how many times I've heard young families, couples who have two or three kids, I get it, I've been there. They say, oh, Pastor Jim, we're just so tired and so busy. I get it. But I want you to understand that we all have time. I've heard couples, these very same couples, talk about, oh, did you see that Korean video series? I watched the whole thing. Or they, they, we're all able to find time for things if we believe it is important enough to create time for them. But where you lean is huge. And I like the word lean because if you take the object of which I'm leaning on, I will immediately fall. A pastor in a nearby church in downtown L.A., Tapestry L.A., Pastor Charles Choi, spoke a message on family of origin. And he, wrote, and he said this. He says, as a child, you've been given a family script that the past becomes the present through our family script. He's talking about family sin patterns that have been passed down. He says, if your soul is not living by the right story, living out the proper script, and he was referring to scripture and truth in God's word, then you are doomed You're going to struggle and you're not going to find the shalom. You're going to continue to live in those same patterns. You see, Nehemiah's prayer and confession and the script that he chose was the one that came from God's word. Please, God, if you can please remember your word as he remembered. And by the way, as I was thinking about this passage, I wondered where did Nehemiah learn so much about God's word that he could quote it in a prayer? He was in Babylon. I wonder. Was it from his family? In chapter 8 and 9 of Nehemiah, I'm not going to read all of it. I just want to summarize it for you. A a, a wonderful revival takes place among God's people. And what I believe happened is that as the people returned and as they started on this project, and great opposition was there as well, and half the people were building and half the people were trying to keep uh, keep off uh, and fend off the, uh, the people who were trying to keep them from finishing this job, that it says in chapter 8 that the heads of the household gathered together with Ezra, uh, the scribe, and they wanted to study the law for the period of years that they were gone. They didn't have it. They didn't have its reading. And it says there was great rejoicing. And in chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, I do want to read for you. It says, that the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They were doing the same things they heard Nehemiah do. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. If 24 hours is a day, the quarter of the day is six hours. And another quarter of the day, they made it for confession and worship the Lord their God. So for the half of an entire day, they heard the reading and teaching of the scriptures, and they confessed their sins and worshiped God. Things 
that they knew they needed to do and some things they couldn't do, they were restricted to do when they were in captivity. I remember one of the first Sundays when we returned back from quarantine, I had tears just in the rehearsal service when I stood here getting ready to preside over that first time. The leaning, it is a humble, repentant, understanding, eyes open to seeing this God who calls us to return and to this first love, both in prayer and in scripture. At our church, in our small group ministry that I oversee, in the small group ministries, I try to introduce the practice of spiritual disciplines called TLCs. And it stands for His Truth, His Life, and His Character of Love. But I keep hearing people saying, what is T again? What is C again? And they get all confused. And so I'm trying to simplify it again with BPS, Bible, Prayer, and Service. (laughs) You know, recently, as I've been meeting with certain couples who have been facing tremendous marital strife, after meeting with them and praying with them and listening to their story, giving them some advice and some steps that they could take, one of the things that I do with them is this very thing. Because you see, in order to find healing in a broken home, a broken marriage, there has to be a source from which life will flow again, not pain. And every time I ask people who are going through these times, I ask them, are you spending time with God? And a lot of times the answer is, no, I'm not. I don't even know how to come to God at this point. I'm actually angry with God. And so after we walk through it and listen and pray for them with tears, I invite them to join me on a daily accountability where they, where they share with me if they are meeting with God in prayer, reading his word. And I'm not asking for chapters a day, just simply a verse of the day where you remember that God is speaking his truth into your life. And then to serve. You know why serving is included as an act of love? Because that's what Jesus did. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And every time I try to serve, there is a side of sinfulness of me and my selfishness that comes blaring up. There could be a time when we're sitting at dinner and I know my family, my wife and kids are sitting right in front and I'm not going to look at them because I'm going to talk about them right now. Because as, as we sit there for a meal... My daughter will simply say, hey, dad, can you get me a cup of water? And I just want to say, you got two legs? Go over there. The kitchen is right there. She said, I thought we're supposed to serve each other. And I'm just thinking, you are so wicked. My son does that. He'll say, hey, dad, can you do this for me? And and I'm like, you do it. And he just smiles at me. And I'm just like, man. You know what comes to my heart? Do you do it for me? Because if you don't do it for me, I'm not going to do it for you. See, that's Jimmy. But every time I serve, I'm asking myself, do you want to be Jimmy or do you want to be more like Jesus? And that's the third step. As Nehemiah faced what he was facing, sure, he could have sat there in self-pity. He could have sat there and said, it's my dad's fault. It's my people's fault. But instead, he went and served his people. Every one of these elements I find to be so 
Not a choice, not a concern, not a wish list, not a would like, but a necessity of a lifestyle. And I would love to call Christ central. And any church I get a chance to address, please do not let reading scripture and prayer or serving become a to-do list so that you can gain self-righteousness and gain some kind of reason why God should do something for you. That is not it. It is not so a to-do list or something that you could be proud of so that God, you could demand things of God. No, it is simply a lifestyle of following Christ as his, uh, as his children who have been given life and that we are called to live anew, rebuilding from the past and learning to take steps where we are no longer living from the pain but living in the hope and the promises that God has given You know, occasionally I get a chance to look at the screen time for my kids and myself. You know, the average screen time that in our family I think we're using is about six hours. And I thought about the quarter of the day. (laughs) We're spending a quarter of the day on our phones. And I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. Actually, maybe I am. (laughs) Just simply take time. To let God restore a broken past, a broken history, a broken us, and rebuild it with prayer, with scripture, and with service. We live in a broken world. We come from broken families. But we have a redeemer that is greater than Nehemiah, who came not with the permission or favor of an earthly king, but with the commission and blessing of our Heavenly Father. He came not to build a wall against enemies. He came to protect us forever from sin and death by the shedding of his own blood. And now we have the privilege from our past to lean upon the rock of our salvation, to call upon God as our Father. And Jesus, our King, and to live a life as children of God. I wish and I ask God to give shalom to us all. At this time, I'm going to ask us to join together in a time of communion. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, I just want to invite you to remember what communion is. The communion is a message of the gospel in a visible form. That in the bread, we're reminded of what Christ did and as he gave his body for us. And through the wine, we remember the covenant of his blood. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and, and, and when he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Church, it's a wonderful privilege at this time. But I also want to invite you, if you're here and you are holding a grudge or an unforgiving heart towards someone in your family, I want to invite you to 
ask God's help and strength for forgiveness. Let not this table be a table of contradictions, but a table of fellowship. And if you're not yet a professing believer in Christ, or if you've not yet been baptized or confirmed in your faith, we ask that you would do that and then join us at the table. But for now, would you refrain? And as we come now and ask the ushers to come forward who will be handing out the elements, I would invite you to take a moment to check your heart. And as the ushers come forward and also get ready to invite each row and excuse each row to come forward, would you also take time as you walk down to remember that what we're about to take is both the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. At this time, I just want to invite you to just bow your head with me and just look to the Lord and remember the promise and the covenant that was made through his sacrifice on the cross. That as he made that promise, he promised that he would truly keep us, not only from forever, now and forever, he promised this in his son. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for being a God who not only makes promises, but keeps those promises for the glory and for our good. Thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, but you sent your son to be the incredible payment for that sin. We remember you. We thank you. We love you. And thank you for restoring and, re and giving us life and redemption and hope. In Christ and in his name, I pray. Amen.